Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, May 14th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We hear the mayor's thoughts on the updated fines in our city for not wearing a mask and Thursday's announcement from Dr. Dina Hinshaw on the new requirements for exemption for those who cannot wear a mask for medical reasons. May, as we know, is Mental Health Month, so we're speaking with author Sarah Zabel, a retired U.S. Air Force Major General who has turned to writing. We hear Sarah's story, and that led her to digging deep into the topics of depression and mental health in order to help her best friend who'd been struggling with depression for years. He's a familiar face and voice to Calgarians. Gord Gillies, he's back on TV, a TV screen near you, with a brand new program on Global called Trending. It'll shine the spotlight on many unique local businesses. We'll hear it from Gord, the whole story. And finally, Hail Caesar. We celebrate the savory goodness mm, of Calgary's homegrown cocktail, the Caesar. We mix things up with award-winning mixologist Madeline McDonald, who gives us some off-the-beaten-path suggestions to make your next Caesar sensational. 811. Lots to catch up with uh, this week as we check in with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We do every Friday and uh, we'll get into the details of uh, so many different things that we've got to chat about. We say good morning to you first, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Happy to be here. Well, we wanted to uh, talk about the mask restrictions first, increased fines for violators um, not following the masking bylaws. And then, uh, as we heard from Dr. Dina Hinshaw yesterday, that, um, you know, if you can't wear a mask, you need some sort of a a note from a doctor to prove that. Were were you pleased to, to hear these two things? Well, the increased fines are not in place yet, just to be technical about it, because council has to read the bylaw, which won't happen until our next council meeting in a couple of weeks here. Um, But, you know, I was surprised uh, that Dr. Hinshaw went that far, because we always said, you know, we can just trust the honor system. We don't have to get too regulatory about this. But it's clear that what drove the provincial government to do that is that people are abusing that. And it's not so much that you know, they're showing up and shopping unmasked uh, in a grocery store. It's actually that there's too many people who are showing up, shopping unmasked in a grocery store and being jerks about it, Mm -hmm. you know, coughing in other people's direction, harassing people who are wearing masks. And nobody deserves that. The retail clerks don't deserve it. The people who are just trying to pick up their bread and milk don't deserve that. Yeah, very interesting. And again, it's one more layer I was saying to Sue that, you know, could perhaps help enforcement do what they have to do. I want to switch gears and talk about uh, something else that was discussed. And it was interesting because for you, it it wasn't a slam dunk, but you are behind it and you want to see how it goes. And that is the alcohol consumption in uh, city parks. Yeah, um, you know, I... I got to be honest, I'm not sure that I love it, Um, you know, particularly considering the work I've been doing on mental health and addiction. We know that alcohol is the most misused substance uh, and the biggest cause of trouble, even though we talk a lot about illegal drugs. Alcohol is, is a much higher prevalence. All of that said, I also like experiments. I like trying things out. I like uh, determining whether we can change our rules. So basically, we're going to try it this summer. It sounds a bit bureaucratic, but the reason for that is so we can collect some data so we can know how many people are uh, taking advantage and if we have any problems. So the idea is that at certain parks in the city, not the big crowded parks, but kind of your smaller neighborhood parks that have picnic tables, some of those picnic tables will be allowed for alcohol use. And you can pre-book, or if no one's using it, you can drop in and have a drink at those tables. And we're just going to try and track that this summer, see how it works, see if there's any problems. 
uh, see if it's causing other people to avoid the parks or not be comfortable there, and then make a decision on whether to expand it, stop it, or make it permanent in the fall. Okay, uh, let's talk about the race for the mayor's chair. You no longer will be in the running. You have decided not to run again in October, but now we've Oh, I've got... changed my mind. I was going to announce <laughs> oh, that this and morning. You heard no, it, you heard it here, folks. No. Um, we have a long list, though, of those that want to take over and, and run this city. Your thoughts on, on that and, and the number of candidates that are now in the race? Oh, you know, I love it. Fifteen's uh, not actually that many. Uh, there's typically about that many. But what is interesting here is that you've got sort of five, I would say, you know, front runners who have a lot of support in the community now, three members of council and two outsiders. And I'm always deeply grateful for anyone who wants to run for public office. It's really a sacrifice. It's really tough. And uh, I'm really happy that people are willing to put themselves forward and do that. You know, so for voters, the issue now is we got to spend the summer really... Uh, pushing these candidates, helping them figure, helping figure out if they're viable, figuring out if they have a vision for the future of the city that you believe in. I expect that the race will probably tighten up and clean out um, after Labor Day. Mm-hmm. You know, people will think of the summer kind of as the primary election and the fall as the general. And some people might drop out or endorse others. We might have a more clear choice on the ballot, or voters will make it a more clear choice. Uh, you know, uh, and I think that'll be important. Back in 2001... Uh, Mayor Bronconi won his first election with 28% of the vote. It was something like 28, 26, 24, 20 and, um, for the top four candidates. And I think that, uh, you know, that's tough to go in with, with that kind of a mandate. That's still possible. But I, I expect that voters and the candidates will, will probably clean up the field a little bit going forward. I'll say one other quick thing, which is so far... We've seen very little actual policy or ideas from any of the candidates. That's okay. It's still very early. But none of them have really released uh, any policy statements. Uh, It's really been about kind of personality and style and so on so far. And I suspect that that will change. I hope that that will change because I'm not sure that that'll give uh, voters enough to go on. Well, Mayor, I'm wondering, we have to take a quick commercial break. Can you stick with us for two more minutes? Sure. Good stuff. More with Mayor Nahed Nenshi coming up just after traffic. 8.19 and uh, still with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Thank you for spending some more time with us, Mr. Mayor. We appreciate it. Uh, Happy to do so. Want to still, uh, you know, on the topic of the mayor while we're, we're talking about the, the race 15 strong and the, the numbers, well, maybe they'll grow even further. We'll see. We've still got five months. But something that I'd, I'd never really thought of and we've never heard of uh, in the civic election so much, I don't think, unless you have your finger on the pulse, is the, the voter list. Something yeah. that we're now talking about when it comes to the mayoralty race. Tell us about the importance of the voter list and could we see it pushed aside? So here's the interesting thing. This is very political nerd deep. But the voters list has two purposes. The first is to actually run the election. So when you have a consolidated voters list, you can do things like advance polls across the whole city on university campuses, train stations and so on. So you don't have to vote in the riding you live in. But it's also legislated that if there is a voters list, it has to be supplied to the candidates. And the voters list has people's names and addresses on them. And in the old days, this was an incredibly important campaign tool because it's how you reached people. Nowadays, there are lots of other databases. There are lots of other ways to get to people. I'm not sure that I really use the voter list very much in the last couple of campaigns at all. Um, But that said you kind of do need one in order to run the election, but our legislation has this strange little tick in it that if there is a voters list, it has to be supplied to the candidate. They have to pay for it, but 
uh, just for the city's cost for it. And so the reason that's been in the news lately, of course, is that uh, there is a candidate for uh, the city council, or for the mayor, I should say, Mm -hmm. who has said some pretty awful things and uh, some pretty threatening things. And so now it's a concern that he will now have people's names and addresses. So we're working hard and with the province to figure out how to prevent this eventuality that nobody ever thought of. And I'm really not sure what the answer is because we want we have to be able to run a secure election. And those advanced polls where people can vote all over the city because the poll comes to them have been really useful to increase voter turnout. And it would be a shame to lose them. So we got to figure out what other options we might have. Without putting people in danger. And, and you know, that it is a really scary thing that I think really does need to be dealt with at this time. And we are saying who this candidate is because we want people to understand which one we're talking about is Kevin J. Johnston, who has, you know, made some comments that have been, you know, quite scary and quite threatening, as you said. And he's, he's facing charges in two different provinces. So we're trying to make sure that everybody understands which candidate that actually is. And, 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 and let's be clear, on that voters list is Nahid Menchie's address, is Jason Kenney's address, mm-hmm. is Sue Dale's address, yeah. and is the address of um, all of the health inspectors and the police officers. Uh, so you can understand why people are getting nervous. Most definitely. Let's let's switch to something a little more positive to end with as we have you here on the phone. We want to talk to you about the, the Mayor's Challenge. Yes, thank you. So this week I got to launch something called the Mayor's Innovation Challenge. This is a global competition for people who are interested in how we can be more innovative as a city, particularly in the area of clean energy. Uh, because I really believe that Calgary should be the world center for clean energy, as we are the world center for conventional energy. It, it makes sense to me. So if you're someone who's creative, who's got a great idea, whether it is just an idea, what we call a pre-commercial idea, or whether it is a product that you think you're almost ready to sell, or if it's just an idea about how cities can, how this city and cities in general can run better, we want to hear from you. So details are at calgary.ca slash mayor's challenge. Um, the applications are due June 11th for the contest, uh, and the prizes are great. And not only is there some money, but what it really is, is you will get to work with experts in the field right here in Calgary to make that idea real and to use Calgary as a test bed for it. So it's just a way to spur innovation in our economy and to set a bigger goal, not just diversification, but in fact being world leaders in managing a lot of the forces in the world today. Good stuff. Uh, Thank you so much for your time this morning and have a great weekend. Thank you. Great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. I keep saying it, but just a little while longer. Excellent. Uh, That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, but for far too many people, depression and mental illness are top of mind 365 days a year. Our next guest, Sarah Zabel, is a retired Air Force Major General and has written a new book called Fighting Chance, How Unexpected Observations and Unintended Outcomes Shape the Science and Treatment of Depression. Big title, but we say good morning to you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Talk to us a little bit about this book, why you decided to gather these stories, a little bit of background on you. Oh, well, so I had a long Air Force career, and one of my my friends from way back, we were lieutenants together, she was this happy, normal person, and then about 10 years into our friendship, she got depression. And it was very, she had a lot of suicidality, so she had suicide attempts, she was always miserable, and she was just a completely different person than than my friend that I had gotten to know over over about 10 years at that point. 
So she struggled for years, um, found some moderately effective treatments, but was never really, never really cured. So when I retired from the Air Force and I had time, I decided that I needed to, I wanted to understand what depression was. I wanted to see if there was some way I could help and at least, um, at least not hurt her. I always had this fear that I would say or do the wrong thing and she would kill herself. I mean, literally. So I, I started studying. I started reading about depression. I started talking to people. And for me, learning about, it turns out that the way my mind works, I got into the science of depression. I wanted to know what's going on in frankly, that crazy head of hers. And um, so I started learning. And as I learned more and more, it was just, it was so amazing and fascinating and really so many unexpected twists and turns in the story of depression that I felt I needed, I needed to put this out in the world. I needed to write a book about it. So I did. Sarah, you mentioned you got into the science of it, but you've been further describing uh, this book as a science book for non-scientists. So, so tell us uh, why you have that description. It's because, so it is about the science of depression and what depression is to the best of our knowledge, uh, where it comes from, uh, like, you know, genetic, is it genetically driven or by early life experiences or what, and also how the treatments actually work. So it is about the science of depression, but I am not a neuroscientist. I am not a psychiatrist, a medical person of any kind. So it's written for a a, a lay person, someone who is not a scientist, but let's say motivated to understand what's going on in, with someone who has depression. So someone with a curious mind, really. So what, what do we know? I mean, Cole's Notes version, obviously, but is it genetics? Is it, is it life experiences? What, what do we know? What did you gather? So everybody has some level of vulnerability to depression, and some people are more genetically vulnerable. There, there's no depression gene. There's no like on-off gene for depression. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of genes that affect how your brain uh, works in a very physical manner. And sometimes those can kind of, those can kind of pile up on the, the you know, vulnerable side or they can pile up on the, the resilient side. So on top of the genetic inheritance, early life adversity is a very strong factor. People who suffered from, uh, whether it's some sort of uh, physical or emotional abuse as children or uh, lost a parent or, you know, something like that early life, that's going to give them, you know, tick up their vulnerability a little bit. But then what it seems to come to in later life is what's really destructive to the physical processes of the brain is chronic stress, chronic low-level stress. And, of course, that could come from anywhere, and especially now, Mm. Uh, when people are worried about uh, survival and their jobs, everything that's gone on with the with the COVID pandemic, you can imagine that the chronic stress has been ticking up quite a bit. So yes, yeah, so it really comes from a lot of directions. Um, there there is a a level of vulnerability that people have based on their genetic inheritance and what happened to them as they were developing as as children, um, but. Then it comes down to the the modern day as well. What's going on now? Are you experiencing chronic stress, and are you able to uh, you know fight through and 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 be resilient, or is it piling up and basically eating away at some of the the connections in your brain? You delve deep into the book, including looking at some of the treatments, and we know that typically it's been antidepressant medications. What did you find in your research when it came to uh, effective uh, treatments of depression? So 
antidepressant medications do uh, put about 50% of the people who take them, they go into remission because of uh, through simple uh, just the antidepressant medications. But about 50% don't. Uh, those are those people are considered treatment resistant. There are a lot of different different options, including some new modern uh, discoveries. So things like uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, um, ketamine, low dose ketamine, it was recently approved by the US FDA about I think two years ago, and it's a rapid antidepressant. Um, and then of course there are there's uh, psychedelics that are going into testing and sometimes use. So there's a lot as science is discovering more and more about the brain and how it works, you know, in health and in illness. They're coming out with more and more uh, ways to treat depression. Neurofeedback, that's a, I find that one fascinating, mm-hmm. where you can kind of balance the activities of your brain just by understanding what's going on. Super topical right now. I mean, you include interviews with more than 20 experts. Uh, you've got research. And it's described as a 360-degree look inside the world of mental illness. We thank you for your time. And we'll uh, lead people to the book. Again, it's called Fighting Chance, How Unexpected Observations and Unintended Outcomes Shape the Science and Treatment of Depression. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thank you. Appreciate it. That is author and retired U.S. Air Force Major General Sarah Zabel. 843, what's trending? That's the question being posed to area businesses in a new show launching on Global this weekend. The host of the show, you know him, you love him, used to be my co-host here on 770 until he left to become a TV star once again. (laughs) Mr. Gord Gillies, he joins us now. Hi, Gord. Hi, Sue. i got to be honest with you. When I heard the music for business to talk to Dave, I had a panic attack. (laughs) I haven't prepped him. I haven't prepped yet. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to ask him. Yeah, you guys, how about you both? Good to be back uh, to say hi and uh, yeah very excited about this show and I'm assuming it's uh, here's why I got involved with it because it's I I know when you guys have your story meetings to develop what's coming up the next day it's always about what's the news of the day what's going on and then Sue when you and I were doing it there was the economy was so crappy we were always like what's a positive story we can share as well and so this is looking at uh, four or five uh, great Calgary, well-known Calgary businesses. How have they weathered COVID and the economy? And then trending, what are they seeing down the road? So very excited to be involved with it. It's probably going to run every five or six weeks. It's not like a weekly thing, but it's a, it's a neat thing. And, and you get to know these people a little more than maybe you, you thought you knew beforehand. And Gord, I know you're, you're you're such a backer of local, such a backer of Calgary, and that has to be a part of it for you, the appeal. And I'm, I'm sure an, an appeal for the viewers as well, because being local businesses, these are our friends, families, and uh, neighbors. Well, and we do kind of know them, right? I mean, for example, uh, you know, you know, in, in this week's uh, show, uh, Leslie Cater, and you've chatted with her, we've chatted with mm-hmm. her before, but, you know, did you know that Leslie Cater's father was in the Royal Navy and they traveled all over the world as a youth and that's where she got her travel bug from? So wow. we'll learn a little bit about the travel lady, but also, hey, everybody wants to get traveling again. What about the, pass- the vaccine passports? What will it be like if we ever go to Vegas again? Because there's so many people, right? You're playing cards with strangers for crying out loud sometimes. Will we be doing that again? Will we need a passport to go to BC? <laughs> you know, so we're going to get her to look into her crystal ball and, and talk about what she sees coming. And certainly passports, vaccine passports are the likely thing. Um, full disclosure, you guys, Len T. Wong just sold my home. 
So I love the man. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy with Lynn. But what we did when we listed our house was something called virtual staging. And our house was empty when we listed it. And so they can bring in furniture and make it look really nice and full. Or you can virtually stage it. And so they put in a whole bunch of different things. And frankly, when we got the pictures back, Candy and I were saying, I don't know if we want to sell the house. This is looking really cool. (laughs) Where do we We buy that furniture? (laughs) <laughs> so we'll talk with Len about uh, the red hot market right now, how long he thinks it's going to last, but what's trending, what will happen down the road. Um, other topics, you guys, uh, we do, believe it or not, we talked to a Daniel Katz from the Alpine 24-7 Pet Hospital, veterinarian Dr. Katz. Um, <laughs> they're doing some really neat surgeries now. It's almost like humans in the way they do less invasive surgeries on our beloved furry friends, and that's a big trend. And something he's seen, you guys, you'll you'll, you'll laugh at this maybe if you're not a cat fan like me um dogs are loving the fact that people are back at home a lot working from home cats hate it and they're developing anxiety because who are these strangers in my home all day long i only want to talk to you when it's food time right (laughs) so cats are not liking it as much so another example of some things we'll learn about what's happening in, in that world as well love it local businesses the people behind them the things that are coming down the road fantastic when's the show on gord so, you know what? There's a couple of showings this weekend. There, there was one at 1.30 in the morning. If you can't sleep, look for me on Global. I love you. Um, <laughs> but there's a Saturday at 5 o'clock. That's a pretty good time. Saturday at 5 o'clock on Global this weekend. And then 12.30 on Sunday. So there really is a time to check it out. It, it's neat. It's not just a commercial for these great businesses. We're going to find out how they've weathered COVID and the economy. And we'll learn from everybody. I am asking the question, when are we going to get those Chetson cars. I'm going to be asking Todd Richardson and the folks at Lexus or Royal Oak because I want an answer. I've been waiting 55 years for one of those. So you'll learn something too and have some fun. I don't know if a day went by when you and I worked together, Gord, that you didn't ask when those Jetson cars were coming. So I'm glad you might finally get your answer. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be watching Trending this weekend on Global. Great to chat with you guys. All the best. You too. That is Gord Gillies. 719 Mornings with Sue and Andy. It's a -a one-of-a-kind Calgary creation that's enjoyed coast-to-coast and around the world. If you don't know, it's National Caesar Day. And here to celebrate our unique cocktail claim to fame is Madeline McDonald, award-winning mixologist and beverage specialist instructor at the School of Hospitality and Tourism at SAIT. Good morning to you, Madeline. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time. So, So what do you think it is? about the Caesar that makes it so popular and has had, uh, you know, such a life over the past 50-plus years? Yeah, I mean, it's such a quintessential, you know, savory drink that we don't have tons of those that have really come into popularity. Um, So I think that, you know, the Caesar is really, really unique in that sense. Great brunch cocktail. If, frankly, Madeline, it's great at any time of the day. So tell yeah. us tell us uh, maybe your most unique recipe or maybe one of the most unique things you've seen done to a Caesar. Yeah, so, I mean, I did kind of a play on a Caesar, kind of going far, far away from it a little bit, but I did, you know, a clarified tomato water with um, gin as the base spirit. And then I used um, Kumo, which is a French liqueur made with cumin seeds. So it's kind of still got that savory element to it with a little bit of lime and then the salt and pepper rim. So um, that was kind of like a really advanced kind of play on it, keeping those savory flavors. But I think at home and that type of thing, there's lots of um, unique 
new like craft Caesar mixes and that type of thing. Uh, and you can have a lot of fun with the different types of garnish and pickles that you want to use and that type of thing. Now, you've won awards for what you do behind the bar, and you're also obviously a beverage specialist is sharing your expertise at SAIT in hospitality and tourism. So I'm wondering, can you think and can you name a more versatile drink than the Caesar? Is is that a possibility? In terms of in the savory category, maybe not so much, but um, I'd say the daiquiri is probably like a classic daiquiri that's just shaken, you know, white rum, lime juice, uh, simple syrup. You can have a lot of fun messing around with um a daiquiri as well if you're going more of a you know citrus forward sweeter route but let's face it a daiquiri is not a breakfast drink and the caesar i mean honestly it really is one of those and whether it's got alcohol in it or not you can drink it for every meal of the day or just have it as your meal because it can be so (laughs) filling too yeah i mean there's some pretty crazy like garnishes and that type of thing with burgers and you know, bacon or different types of rims and and can get quite excessive for sure. So, yeah, you're definitely right that it could, you know, substitute a meal in some cases. What I like about it is the, and maybe this is a Calgary thing too, the no rules attitude behind the Caesar because it doesn't have to be vodka. It can be gin or tequila. You know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I've seen some with scotch as well, which kind of adds the smoky element. So if you're, you know, maybe using those things like bacon or or that type of thing is your garnish element, maybe that would kind of amplify that smoky flavor. So, Well, as a mixologist, we wish you a happy National Caesar Day and to everyone. It's such a, a Canadian drink, and, and boy, we should be honoured that it was uh, created right here in Calgary. Thanks for joining us, Madeline. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers to you. Madeline McDonald is an award-winning mixologist and beverage specialist, also an instructor at the School of Hospitality and Tourism at SAIT.